Well, good morning. My name is Denisha Akpan, and I have the honor of serving here as the resident minister to students. I am so honored to be able to preach from the Word of God with all of you this morning. My text is coming from 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. So thankful for Evelyn and Luke for reading verses 1 through 6, and so I'm going to pick up with verse 7. And it says, Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and dine, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your kingdom, I will not go in with you, nor will I eat food or drink water in this place. For thus I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat food or drink water or return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he had come to Bethel. The entirety of 1 Kings 13 is a story involving God and three main characters. We have King Jeroboam, we have an unnamed man of God, and we have an old prophet. Now King Jeroboam has become extremely distracted in his worship and sacrifice, and he is seeking to distract others. And so he sets up two golden calf altars, one in Bethel and one in the town of Dan, for his people to gather and worship and bring their sacrifices to. Our second main character, the unnamed man of God, has been sent by the Lord to travel from Judah up to Bethel to deliver a prophecy against the altar and to a distracted King Jeroboam. The one thing the Lord tells him not to do is don't associate yourself in any way with these people. Meaning don't eat their food, don't drink the water, don't take any offers or gifts that they ask you. And in fact, don't even return home the same way that you came. See, the Lord knows that these people have become distracted in their worship and in their sacrifice, and he knows that they are disassociating themselves from the one true God. And he doesn't want the man of God to fall into that. I want us to pick up with verse 18, where the third main prophet has a similar conversation with the man of God. And it says, Then the other said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you into your house, so that he may eat food and drink water. But he was deceiving him. The man of God went back with him and ate food and drank water in his house. The man of God was sent to deliver a prophecy against the altar and to a distracted King Jeroboam, and then he became distracted himself. He did the one thing the Lord told him not to do. I want us to read two more verses, starting with verse 23, so we get a full picture of what happens to the man of God. Starting with 23, it says, after the man of God had eaten food and had drunk, they saddled for him a donkey belonging to the prophet who had brought him back. Then as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. His body was thrown in the road and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. What we learn from this story is that God is a God of truth and justice and he requires of us radical obedience. So this morning, I want to preach on what pulls us away from that. So my title is Distractions. 
I want each one of us in this room, or if you're watching on TV or online, to examine your own life and to ask yourself, have I placed people, things, opinions, or even myself and my own desires above that of the Lord? Have I become distracted? I'm going to turn to someone around you and I want you to say, I'm so glad you made it to church this morning. I'm so glad you're, you're sitting close to me, but please, no distractions today. No distractions. It's okay, you can turn. <laughs> distractions become dangerous and where they lead us to, what it leads us into. And so this morning, I want to examine three areas that's evident within our text that distractions may lead. First, distractions lead to procrastination. If we look at our text in verse 14, we see that the man of God has been found sitting under an oak tree. He's become slow in his journey back to Judah, and he is procrastinating on completing the task that the Lord has given him. What we find is that in the, if you know anything about oak trees, then you know that oak trees are one of the best shade trees to indulge in after a long day out in the hot sun or after a long day's journey. And God commands us to rest. There's nothing wrong with rest. Even God rested. But God rested on the seventh day, not on the second or third day. And so what we have to see is that how different would the man of God's life been if he just kept going, if he didn't rest under that oak tree? We must consider how, how all the other powerful opportunities that the Lord had for him, if he just kept going. Some of us in the room are already thinking about the things that the Lord has called us to do that we may be procrastinating on or sitting under an oak tree and not completing that task. Maybe the Lord has called you to write a book or to start a business or to start up a fresh expression. Maybe the Lord has called you to give to local, national, and international missions. Maybe he's asked you to pack up your bags and to go serve on the mission field. Maybe the Lord has asked you to start up the conversation of adopting or fostering a child. Maybe the Lord has asked you to share his gospel with that stubborn coworker or supervisor or classmate. What has the Lord asked you to do that you may be procrastinating on, that you too may be sitting under an oak tree instead of completing that task? We must never become so distracted that it leads us into procrastinating on doing what the Lord has called us to do. Second, being distracted leads to deception. If we look back in our text, verse 18, we see that the old prophet has deceived the man of God. Up until this point, the man of God has been so firm in the fact that he would not go against the word of the Lord. But the old prophet, he becomes crafty and creative in his requests. And he says things like, well, I am a prophet just like you. I hear from the Lord just like you. But in reality, he was deceiving him. 
Have you ever been so distracted that it led into, into deception and you disobeying the Father? Have you ever trusted the words and the actions of someone and then it led to your own destruction? I always like to remind myself that I'm not wrestling with the person. I'm wrestling with that evil spirit that's working through the person, right? Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of evil and dark places. That is who we wrestle against. So instead of getting mad at the person, we have to get mad at the real enemy. We must never become so distracted that one, we procrastinate in doing what the Lord has called us to do, and we must never become so distracted that it leads us into deception. Three, being distracted leads to death. If we look back in our text in verses 23 and 24, we get an interesting but powerful image. The man of God has lost his life to the lion, and the lion is on one side, and the donkey is on the other. And what we know from the Old Testament is that the lion represents the lion of Judah. It represents boldness and truth. And the donkey represents an unclean animal. It represents laziness and stubbornness and being filled with pride. So in these verses, we get this powerful image of the two choices that we all have. We can walk boldly as a lion, carrying the truth of God undistracted by the things happening around us, within us, and to us. Or we can ride through life on a donkey, being pushed and pulled by everything that comes our way, never accomplishing the task that the Lord has given us. Distractions are dangerous. And they will ultimately always lead to death. Death of our careers, death of our goals, death of our dreams, death of relationships, and death of our calling and purpose on this earth. Distractions are dangerous. I started off by explaining how God is a God of truth and justice, and he requires of us radical obedience. I want to finish that statement by saying that God is a God of grace. We gain such incredible truth from this story, but I don't want us to ever forget that God is 100% truth, and he is also 100% grace, and that is such good news. It's easy to look at a story like this and say, but God, where exactly, where exactly is your grace? The way this man of God's life ended seems so harsh. Could you not have just roughed him up a little bit instead of allowing the lion to completely take his life? God, where is your grace? It's easy to look at our own lives and ask God, where, where is your grace? Could you not have just roughed me up a little bit instead of allowing everything to completely fall apart? God, where is your grace? It's easy to look at the state of our world and ask God, where is your grace? We have the spread of viruses and diseases and cancer 
and wars and talks of wars and politics. God, where is your grace? Mass shootings, killing innocent lives, young to old. God, where is your grace? The declining number of Christians, the alarming number of churches closing every week. God, where is your grace? Eleven years ago, this week, I entered into a three-year season of my life where I kept asking God, where's your grace in my life? See, this week, eleven years ago, my grandparents were celebrating their 47th wedding anniversary. They were both ministers of the faith. They both loved God with all of who they are. However, they were at a stoplight and a distracted driver on her cell phone ran into the back of their Dodge Durango. Distractions are dangerous. My grandfather walked away unharmed, but then my grandmother began to complain about a headache, and so they sent her to the hospital just to do some tests to make sure everything was okay. I remember getting a phone call from my mom, and she said that they had been in the in a car accident that we needed to go to the hospital just to check and make sure everything turned out fine. We get to the hospital, we give them the name, and they say, oh, we have a private waiting room for you. At this point, we started to think, well, maybe everything isn't quite okay. Who gets a private waiting room? The doctor comes in, he puts his foot up on the chair, and he looks at us, and he says, you know, she walked in and she was communicating and she was, she was just fine. She seemed just fine. And then she started foaming at the mouth. And she fell into a coma. And he explained to us that she was suffering from a brain aneurysm and that she would not survive. Distractions are dangerous. A week that was supposed to be about celebrating life and love and family turned into a week about distractions and death. God, where is your grace? About a week ago, the Lord brought to my remembrance the first time that I met Travis Collins. He had flown to Texas to preach a sermon on grace. And he explained to us, as he has often explained to all of you, that God's grace is his unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting love towards us. I believe his main point that day in Texas was that grace, when appropriately understood and fully embraced, that grace will change your life. He ended his sermon by explaining grace in the life of a woman named Denise. Interesting enough, my middle name is Denise. I grew up right here in Huntsville. I attended Huntsville High School not too far from here. I was born in Huntsville Hospital. But I would have never, ever thought that I would be preaching here on a Sunday morning. It never crossed my mind. Not me. Not an African-American female preaching here on a Sunday morning. It was a few months ago when Travis asked me about preaching, and I believe that it was nothing but God's grace, his unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting love that out of all the Sundays in a year, this was the particular Sunday that he suggested. 
a week 11 years ago that seemed to lack God's grace is now a day and a week that God's grace is on full display. That God's grace is seeking to make a statement in my life, in your life, and in the life of this church. See, I believe that God's grace is working from the very beginning. I believe that his grace was working back 11 years ago when I first entered into that season of, God, where is your grace? I believe that his grace was working a year and a half ago when Travis was sent to Texas to preach on grace in a woman named Denise. And I believe that God's grace was working a few months ago when Travis suggested March 1st, when God pricked his heart to suggest March 1st. I believe that God's grace was working. And I believe that God's grace is working in your life as well. I believe that God sees the heart of this church to be even more welcoming and even more inviting to those that do not look like the majority. And I am a living testimony of that. Being the first African-American female to preach here on a Sunday, God's grace is working in the life of this church. And I believe that God's grace was working in the life of the man of God in our text. I believe that God's grace is working from the very beginning, and the reason why I believe that is because we are not once told his actual name. All we are told is that he is a man of God. He was marked by God. He belonged to God. He would spend his eternity with God. I believe that God's grace was working back when he was in Judah and first got that prophecy. I believe that God's grace was working in his life when he took that first step towards Bethel. I believe that God's grace was working in his life when he gave that prophecy out in the middle of the crowd against the altar and to a distracted King Jeroboam. I believe that God's grace was working in his life when he became slow and started to procrastinate on his journey home. I believe that the grace of God was working in his life when he was sitting under that oak tree. I believe that the grace of God was working in his life when the old deceiving prophet came along. I believe that the grace of God was working in his life when he did the one thing the Lord told him not to do. I believe that the grace of God was working in his life when he saddled on that donkey with the intentions of heading back home. And I believe that the grace of God was working in his life when he met up with that lion. See, I believe that the grace of God was working in his life towards what really mattered, his identity in God and his eternal destination. Are you a woman or man of God? Do you belong to God? Have you been marked by God? Do you care more about your identity in God and your eternal destination than the recognition of your name? God is a God of truth and justice, and he requires of us radical obedience. But God is also a God of grace. And I can promise you that the grace of God is working in your life. However, I can't promise you that that grace 
will make your life any easier, but it will produce in you an eternal glory that far outweighs the battles and the distractions that you are currently facing. See, I've had to battle some things to get to this place. I've had to say no to some distractions to get to this place. I've had to say no to people, things, opinions, and my own desires to get to this place. Distractions are dangerous, and they will ultimately always lead to death. So will you, will you say no to distractions and yes to life? Will you say no to distractions and yes to walking boldly as a lion, carrying the truth of God undistracted by the things happening around you, within you, and to you? Will you say no to distractions and yes to God's grace and truth, working through your life, working through the life of your family, and working through the life of this church? God's grace is sufficient, but it's up to us to walk boldly undistracted in that truth. I invite you all to stand our hymn number is 587. Travis and two other ministers will be down front, and they would love to talk with you about what it means to be marked by God. They would also love to talk with you about being a part of this church family. Amen.